Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid-lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet, mom to two boys, middle school teacher, homeschooler, and writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 30. The episode in which Heather and I become the oldest members of the Mysterious Benedict Society. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) We both always wanted to be spies, of course. Okay, can I just tell you, when I was in sixth grade, I had an English teacher who used to tell us stories about World War II and how she was approached to become a spy. Really? Yes. Was she like a geriatric at the time? Because we were in, that would have been in the 80s. Yes, yeah, she was like my grandma's age, probably. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah, or maybe, oh, she must have been older, a little bit older. But she said she ended up getting married instead and stuff. Oh, I know. Flaw. I know. We used to love to get off topic because she would point to her ring and be like, this is why I didn't become a spy. <laughs> this is why I'm stuck in this freaking school in this two-bit <laughs> town, you damn kids. <laughs> That's what I would be while I like slurped slurped from my coffee cup that was really full of gin or something. (laughs) I hate this job. I could have been a spy. Because you could do those things back then, just like you could smack the kids like Sister Nora used to do to us. That was good times. (laughs) Those were the good old days of education. I kind of feel like, though, too, because, you know, we grew up in the 80s where women were like just objects in (laughs) like to be rescued and stuff like that. But I feel like that was spying was like one of those things because there were so many women spies in history and especially like World War II. Like I was just reading about England, um, how they had the special operations executive that they put into place after uh, World War One to keep an eye on Germany because they thought Nazism was on. Never trust them. I mean, we still need to keep an eye on Germany. Let's be honest. (laughs) I think we need to keep an eye on the Nazis in the U.S. right now. Right. Anyway. Um, but uh, one third of the people who worked for that, the spies who worked for them were women. One third. They were because who can keep their mouths shut? Who's observant and can multitask and can see everything that's happening. Who goes unnoticed because, Oh wait, especially if it's not a blonde bombshell with big hooters, nobody's (laughs) going to notice the woman in the room. They're all going to go about and be like, Oh, well, she's an idiot. We can say whatever we want in front of her. She won't remember anything. And meanwhile, her little brain is like, like sending it back to the headquarters. I mean, we're the best spies. And you know who would be an epic spy right now? Fat middle-aged women. No <laughs> doubt. Can't, like, that's it. Because, you know, like, we have had enough. We're over it. Nobody notices us. And people would just be like, oh, go about their spy business. Meanwhile, we'd be like, yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Gone are the days of the sexy spy. Bring me the angry menopausal broad. That's who should be spying. <laughs> I'm just saying that's who's going to take down the government PS and it's not, and it's going to be in sensible shoes. I'm just saying, of course, because you watch those spy movies and they're always like all dressed in like pencil skirts and, and stilettos. And I'm like, no woman ever is going to get crap done like that. No. Wasn't there a spy in World War II who had a fake leg and she hid stuff in that? I think that was my, my uh, sister-in-law's sister had that. And we always used to make jokes about her like that. She could. Be, she has a fake leg, and we would always make jokes about her. <laughs> that she could be a spy. Yeah, you could just hide things in there, and no yeah. one would ever know. Yeah. yeah. Well, didn't they do that on The Sopranos? Oh, probably. I don't know. One of Tony's women, the Russian who had her fake her, her fake leg. Oh God. See, there's. That's why I can't. I can't remember my husband's phone number, but I can tell you what happened in The Sopranos. Every episode, I can sing any Journey song word for word. I could probably tell you everything about the members of Def Leppard or Kiss or any hair band of the '80s. Ask me a phone number. No, no clue. But I can tell you the one that I had in 1977 as a kindergartner. Yes. <laughs> Because that's practical. I was just talking about this the other day about how we don't know anyone's phone numbers anymore. And we also don't know like how to get places because you just plug it into your GPS and go like you don't ever question it. You just follow. I know we were just talking about that. I, what was I thinking about? Like, because my mind is dark and it was like the middle of the night and my little nugget had snuck into bed and was kicking me last night. And I was thinking about something and I'm like, oh my God, like if I had to go, if the world just like blew up and I had no interweb or anything, I'm like, could I even find anything? Could I get anywhere at this point, like within the greater tri-state area? I'm not sure. Or even information, because I don't even bother remembering stuff anymore because you can just look it up in two seconds. <laughs> you know, when I type in your name on my Google, it automatically gives me your address because every time I go to send you something in the last four years, I just Googled it. 
And now it just, you're always my number one, like number one search when it comes up, I put like H E and it pops up with your address and everything. And I'm like, well, that's probably a good, good thing. I remember that one. <laughs> it's sad. What are you going to do? Do you know what I saw this morning? P.S. I was pouring my little nuggets, some cereal, and there was a massive great horned owl in the, in the tree by my house. How it was cool. stunning. It was so stunning. It was spying on you. It was because all of a sudden, like we would tap on the window and it would turn its head and you could see its horns like, like, you know, the little ear tufts, like, with, and I was so proud of my boys because they both said, mom, that's a great horned owl because we studied that in homeschool. And I'm like, yes, <gasps> awesome. I know. Right. I was like, oh, my little mommy heart is so happy right now. So now in order to, if, if, if you're playing along at home, I've got the rabbits, I've got the, the moles, I've got snakes and bunnies, Steve. Steve's still around, but I feel like Steve needs to keep a low profile now. And now we have the great <laughs> horned owl in addition to the uh, fox and the turkeys and Debbie, the horny turkey that now showed up in downtown Boston. In the newspapers. No, she wasn't on the newspaper. She was oh, on the television. television. It was like, yes, the one that was stalking my husband at his office. You can read all about it on my blog. Yeah, there's it's been crazy out here. You have your own like hundred acre woods or something. I know. And I am kind of built like Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> we share the same like body makeup. So I think it's cool. Am I like Piglet? Right. <laughs> You're totally my Piglet. Come on, girl. <laughs> Yesterday we were at the beach and these like two old ladies were sitting there and they couldn't quite hear each other because that's all we do is sit at the beach. P.S. We just or we, yes, you know, we're always know, at the beach. I know. But these two old ladies were sitting there and and my older son and I were walking to we were like we were going up to get something from the car. And she, she's like, she's like, should we get ice cream? What? Ice cream. Do you want ice cream? What? And he just looks at me. He's like, mom, that's totally going to be you and Heather someday. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, that is totally. What? No, I'm, I don't like dairy. <laughs> it's so dairy. funny. I'm not a fan. Thanks. <laughs> oh my God. And they're so surly with each other. I absolutely love it. Oh, no, God. Why are you asking me? I love old ladies on the beach. It's my favorite thing about beach watching. Aww. Yeah. So that's, I, I like to watch the animals at my house. And the geriatrics at the beach. There you go. Well, you know, I have a thing always I've had that I can't wait to be an old lady and just say whatever I feel like saying. Yeah, <laughs> well, see, that's the difference. You can't wait to be an old lady so you can like have your tea and wear your cardigan and everything. And then you'll feel like my shawl able to sort of say what you want. But like when I was yet a young teen, I moved to the East Coast and lived the life of a nice, good girl from Philly for the last next like 20 some years. I just learned really early on to just say whatever the hell I want. <laughs> Yo, what are you looking at? <laughs> so I just have, I'm going to come around the other way. You're going to yeah. get salty. I'm going to come around to the cardigans. So, oh, there you go. Well, then we'll meet in the middle. It'll be good. <laughs> Whoever's going to be taking care of us. It'll be good times for them. Get ready, Nugget. It's on you. I know. He's going to be like, oh, for God's sakes, these broads. These broads, I'm telling you what. (laughs) All right. So shall we talk about this adventure that we did? Okay. Yeah. Let's find out how we became members of Mysterious Benedict Society. Let's get started. Okay, so this is a whole new thing for us on Tulip Mamas. Uh, We read the book and we watched the series. And now it's time to talk about how those two things go together or don't go together or how they worked out. So are you ready, Margie? I think so. But, you know, we always have to say, I mean, like we all know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the book is always better. Yes. Right? Like the book is always better than any movie. And I think it's because like you can never recreate what someone sees in their head right and if the writing is done well like in this case it like Trenton Lee Stewart you're brilliant like it's so well written that you can never meet that expectation on film well you're definitely going to get more information in a book for sure that being said if there is an adaptation of something I always have to watch the movie if I read the book Sure, of course. I always want to see it. And even though I always know from like way back in the day with like, I mean, I think maybe my first experience of this was like Charlotte's Web or something like that. Mm, And I was like, "Mm, but I still want to do it. I still want to see. Here's a prime example. Last year, Little Fires Everywhere was coming out as a series. And I'm like, oh, I want to read that book before I watch the series. I didn't even have to get too 
maybe three minutes into the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, don't need to watch that series because that book was really good. That series was absolutely stupid. (laughs) It had nothing to do with the book. And it was so shifted and changed in such a crap way. Did you read that book? No. It's a great book. You'd like it, but um, put that on your Christmas reading list when you're like kicked up over the holiday break. Anyway, that's a good example. Like if it's coming out, I want to read it. I can't tell you like how many books I've read because the movie trailer got me and I'm like, yes. oh yeah, like the lovely bones and all, and they're always terrible. Um, Winter's Bone, that's another great one. That was a great, amazing book. Not a great movie. Not a great movie at all. So anyway, and of course, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert, we're fine the same today. So here's a little bit of background on the book. The Mysterious Benedict Society uh, by Trenton Lee Stewart first came out book one, the one that we read. Um, It's a tome, if you will. It is is a big one. It's about 450, 500 pages, somewhere in there. It's a big book. Um, But it first came out in 2007, which is, what's that, 15, 14 years ago. Right. Because I got married in 2006 and we've been married 15 years. It's like when you're in prison and you just like sort of justify everything, like when you got sentenced. That's kind of, I mean, not that I've been to prison, but I've been married for 15 years. So I think it's the same thing. So that's how I could do the quick math. But anyway, the second book is called The Perilous Journey. And that one came out in 2008, right after. Um, The Prisoner's Dilemma came out in 2009. And then there was, that was sort of like the end. But then there was another one in 2019 that came out as well. And that's called The Mysterious Benedict Society and the Riddle of Ages. Now, in between all of those, there was a prequel, which is one that I would actually like to read. And it's called The Extraordinary Education of Nicholas Benedict. So that's like a prequel about like, how did Mr. Benedict become Mr. Benedict? But I can't find a lot of reviews on it. I don't know people. It kind of, I feel like it came out like in, like in the midst. So kind of slipped under the radar. Like people were waiting for another one and didn't get it. But the 2019 version was like, hey, let's revisit this. And people were excited about that one. But anyway, um, it was obviously a New York Times bestseller. It was one that kids are still reading today. People still love this book. And because of that, it was just recently this, it started in June, I think, right? The beginning of June, it was turned into a series for Disney Plus starring Tony Hale. And the last episode of it just came out this last Friday. Yeah, last Friday. Yeah, this past week. So So you can binge it all now. You can if you want to. Uh, interesting enough, though, I read the book and watched it. And my son did not. And he watched it all with me. So I'll give you a little. He watched it all with me, but he didn't read the book. So okay. So basically, it's the story of four exceptional children that are that are chosen by this sort of mysterious genius, Mr. Benedict. And they're going to put an end to a problem that's called vaguely the emergency, right? And the emergency is about to doom society. I felt like there were so many things in the emergency that were so much like the interweb. Yes. Hello, Facebook. <laughs> it was. It was like Facebook. It, literally, right? I mean, yeah. hello, the evil genius, Mr. Le, how do you, Leopold, Leopoldra? I don't know. They always called him Mr. Curtain. It's Le Drop the. How do you know that? Because drop the curtain. Oh, my God. God, I didn't even get that. I know it took me about till about two thirds of the book to realize that it was Le Drop the Curtain because they kept calling him Mr. Curtain. And right. it just hit me one day when I was or one point I was like, oh, his name is Drop the Curtain with Le on the beginning of it. So now when you say that it look, I'm looking at it. I'm like, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Le drop the curtain. OK. Le Drop the Curtain, the, the evil genius. Um, so he has this institute. He's the one creating the emergency. He is, for all intents and purposes, Mark Zuckerberg. And um, <laughs> he wants to control you. Exactly. In every way, without you knowing it, with yes. subliminal messaging. Uh, now that you say it, it's a lot of Facebook on there. Okay. <laughs> So anyway, Mr. Benedict knows what's just causing the emergency. He knows what it is, but he's also a little bit crazy and no one really wants to believe him. Or is it that everybody who would be able to believe him is already brainwashed by the whatever the subliminal messaging causing the emergency is? Who's to say? So Mr. Benedict finds these four exceptional children and he makes a plan along with Milligan, my favorite, his bodyguard. <laughs> yes. Um, number two, also my favorite, mm-hmm. one of his assistants and uh, Rhonda Kazembe his other assistant, and they are going to use these children to infiltrate the Institute of Mr. Curtin and bring him down. Because Mr. Curtin is using children at the Institute somehow. They're not sure how. So they know they have to have children. Fight children with children. It's like um, a cage match, if you will, with just children. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. Um, so, but the, uh, the kids, my favorite though, like the kids meet these 
they're sort of like evildoers on the other side. And Jackson and Jilson are these the bizarre twins that are in charge. One's in charge of the boys, obviously Jackson and Jilson's in charge of the girls. So, Um, and Martina is the evil wonder. So on the other side that are working for Mr. Curtin. So just like Mr. Benedict's got his, Mr. Curtin has his team. So should we dig into the characters and kind of explain the characters? Because the characters are awesome. I know they are. So I can tell you a little bit about each of the characters. Okay. So first off, we have Rennie Muldoon who is a young orphan who's very, very smart, and he's living in an orphanage. He has read basically every book in their pitiful orphanage library, and he's taken every class in the school at the orphanage. And so the director has hired a tutor named Miss Paramal to work with him, and she's about the only adult in Rennie's life that he trusts and feels close to. And she just she sees the ad for this testing to get into the special school, and she talks Rennie into trying to do it. Rennie's also the sweetest kid in ever so sweet he has a good heart and he cares about everybody and basically rainy gets into the mysterious benedict society because he's really good at figuring out puzzles and so he sort of uses his puzzling skills to get through all the testing and everything that's put in his path to get into the into the society and then second up is sticky washington or george george washington i love and i love when constance is like okay george washington she's so salty i love her okay Okay, so uh, Sticky is, uh, he's a runaway, poor kid. He's also a genius, but he has like a photographic memory or whatever you want to call it. I know they say that's not like a real thing, but he remembers everything he's read. So that's why he got the nickname Sticky because everything sticks to his memory. So he ran away after his aunt and uncle. He lost his parents and he went to go live with his aunt and uncle and they were figured out he was so smart that they could use him to win contests. I mean, this brilliant it's brilliant parenting p.s if my kid was like that i would do the same thing i I don't grudge i don't judge them (laughs) and they were making a lot of money winning contests using um poor sticky and uh, he kind of got tired of it and started to think that they only wanted him because of this and so and i he runs away but i love he's so smart i love the way he runs away he runs away but hides in the house for a couple days just to see if they're gonna miss him right yeah they don't (laughs) my favorite though is sticky's bald it's really important that sticky is bald because he thought that he would use hair remover now he is a small black boy with giant glasses and now he's bald (laughs) so yeah definitely no one's going to notice you sticky because they thought if he used hair remover to take his hair out then that would be like a disguise and then people wouldn't notice him p.s no one's no one's gonna notice a 12 year old bald boy okay great He stands out a little bit now. And also his hair is not growing back, which is a little bit. Of which a is hilarious. Yeah. And then so Sticky gets into the society because he remembers everything. So he's able to easily get through all this crazy testing that he's put through. He's like a serious ocean of information. Next up is Kate Weatherall. Kate the Great. And she is an orphan also. Her father disappeared when she was only three. Her mother died when she was born a baby. Yeah. Yeah. When she was born. And then her dad disappeared when she was three. And she went into an orphanage also, but then she (laughs) hated it there and ran away to join the circus. Obviously. Hilarious. Yeah. So she has like very almost circus like qualities about her, like strong man kind of qualities. And then she's got trapeze artist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She can do all these cool physical things. So she's pretty much physically superior to our little brainiac boys. And she has a bucket that is attached to her belt that is filled with MacGyver like tools that she uses to get herself out of all kinds of situations, which I love. I love that it's a bucket too, because like it's yeah. not a bag. It's not something that's easy to hold on to. Oh, it's like clanky yeah. and yeah. A big old metal bucket. It's hilarious. But of course, in the book, we discover why it's a bucket in the TV series, not so much. But um, I think one thing that's really cool about Kate is that she didn't really get into the society by passing the tests, but she got into by into it by saving the test moderator who was number two from the irate parents that were mad when their kids didn't get through. <laughs> and right? So, yeah, she created her the escape. diversion yeah. and. I thought that was so great. And I also thought that was a really cool way of showing the diversity of intelligence and how it's not always about like passing tests and stuff. I thought that was really cool and how, you know, it can be a physical thing too. Um, And then Constance Contraire. My favorite. My favorite. And she is a lot younger than the other kids, but also extremely intelligent. In fact, 
uh, Mr. Benedict says she might be the most gifted of all the kids. And the other kids don't get it at all because she's super stubborn, hostile. She makes she them- eats all the time. Yeah. She's fat and angry. I love you, Constance. I'm your I'm your spirit animal. <laughs> she makes up like nasty rhymes about everything, like what she eats, what the ki- other kids, and they're hilarious. Um, I really adored her. I also thought her character said something really interesting about the importance of disruption in thinking differently and making changes for the better, like how you sort of need some form of disruption thrown in there. She knows. Constance was on it. Yeah. And then we have the adults in the room. Here we are. Mr. Benedict, who is an eccentric genius, um, and he believes that the kids are the only way to help stop this crazy emergency that has affected all the adults, has all the adults worrying, but they don't really know what it is. But no one believes him. But an interesting thing about Mr. Benedict is he suffers from narcolepsy. (laughs) It's not interesting. It's like the main (laughs) important thing. I love it. He'll just be like talking and all of a sudden he'll get too excited and fall asleep. So whenever he's happy, was I out long? <laughs> yeah, not that narcolepsy is hilarious, but it's a really important part of his. It's character. a huge tool to the whole the whole book, which is brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah, and not to give anything away, but it has a little bit to do with the twist at the end, which I did not see coming. I don't know how I did not see that coming. It was so uh, good. Yeah, it was good so though. Good. It was really well done. Yeah, in the book, in the book, in the let's book. Clarify. Yeah, yeah, in the book, not the TV show was a disaster. But go on <laughs> that part. Yeah. So number two is uh, Mr. Benedict's trusted assistant in the book. She's described looking like a pencil, which I thought they pulled that off in the TV series. But, and she always wears yellow because she wears yellow and she has and she's red, tall and skinny, orange, red hair. And she's tall and skinny and she can kind of kick butt. She's funny. She, and she's always eating. Actually, she's she eats like, all the time because she's got like a high metabolism or oh, something. She, like doesn't that. she doesn't sleep. Yeah, that's what it was. She doesn't sleep. So she is always because she's always there to catch Mr. Benedict when he has an, an, a narcoleptic attack. So those two kind of have the opposite problems. He falls asleep. She can't sleep. So that was kind of cool. And then there's Rhonda Kazembe, who I thought was super cool. She's sort of a master of disguises. And she's um, from Africa. And she works undercover a lot for Mr. Benedict, where she can dress up in different disguises. She convinced all the kids she was a kid when she first met them. It was really cool. Um, And then Milligan. He's sort of described like dressed like a scarecrow. And I thought they pulled that off in the TV series too. Definitely. But when you watch the television series, how long did you spend trying to figure out if it was Matt Damon or not? Really? No. Oh my God. He looked just like Matt Damon. Then he was like bigger and buffer, but he looked, and then I Googled it and everyone had apparently like a gazillion it's people asked the same question. <laughs> That's funny. It's not, it's not Matt Damon. <laughs> It's not, no. But he is a large man and he's the protector of um, Mr. Benedict. And he was rescued by him after escaping from Mr. Curtin post uh, brain sweeping. So brain sweeping is something that Mr. Curtin is capable of where he can brush your memories away and like erase your mind yeah erase your mind so you have no idea who you are or what you were doing before he erased your mind so this is what's happened to milligan and he doesn't know who he is but he managed to find mr benedict who ha- is helping him try to recover his memory but has not happened yet and the kids always talk about how sad he is he's very yes. tough and he protects them but they always say he's very sad which is so heartbreaking i know because if you can't remember who you are that would be sad yeah. Um, so anyway, and then there's Mr. Curtin, the evil mastermind who's in charge of the emergency. Do we want to give away the little? I think we, I think it's sh- yeah. I mean, it's I it's, it's like out there plenty. it's out there. It's I mean, the book is 15 years old, so that's true. Okay. If you don't want to hear this part, then just like skip us for 15 so seconds. Blah 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 blah. All right, just like <laughs> just fast forward. Okay. Mr. Okay. Go Curtin, ahead. Mr. Curtin is Mr. Benedict's long lost twin brother. Identical so, twin. Identical brother, twin. Brother. Which is why it works. So there we go. Yeah. So the kids were um, surprised when they thought at first they were confused because they thought it was Mr. Benedict and they didn't know what they'd gotten themselves into when they arrive um, at the Institute. So anyway, yeah. So that's basically it. That's everybody involved. That's the cast of characters. Cast of characters and the uh, summary, quick summary of the story. So Margie. We've read the book. Uh, we've read the first book. And the series is based on the first Only book. on the first book. Yeah, yeah. only on the first book. So... What do you think? Okay, well, this is what I was reading a review on the National Review today. And it said, this literally sums up every thought I had on this. This is Disney, quote, Disney has taken an exceptional story about exceptional children and turned it into a mediocre TV show about emotionally wounded adults. 100%. That's really interesting because 
there are a lot of adults adults in the TV show more. Yeah. Which sometimes I kind of liked it because the adults were interesting where it would break to their the adults and what they were doing. But in the book, that never happens. You always stay with the kids. Well, and the, the kids are important. The kids are the center of the story. This When you look at the Disney version, it's all about Mr. Curtin and Mr. Benedict. Right. And it's about them and their relationship. The backstory of them becomes more important. You know more about them than you know about the backstory of any of the kids. And that that's not fair. I mean, it's a kid's book. It's about the kids. It's not about the adults. You know, and the people, some people liked the Disney version. Some people didn't. My son liked it. Visually, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. From a design standpoint, absolutely brilliant. And one of the big keys to this whole book is the vagueness. It's very vague. They're in a coastal town in the United States. It's not really, a dis- it's a nondescript town, a nondescript place. It's a nondescript time period. There's a not, it's just called the emergency. Nobody really knows what's happening. So vagueness is a really key element to this. That doesn't always work so well on television. Now, in my mind, the television should have been geared towards kids. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. There is one point, though, in the books where the adults play a role that I wish they didn't. And in the TV series, they don't. And that's at the at towards the end in during the resolution part of the story. In the book, Mr. Benedict is there. And in the TV show, he's not. And I thought that was a little bit better. I thought on the TV show, they didn't really have good explanations for things, though, because, of course, like we've said in the books, you can get into a lot more detail. You have a lot more backstory about each of the kids. You yeah. know a lot more stuff about them that in the TV show is not there. And so Mm -hmm. they give sort of quick, short explanations for things that don't really make sense. But then, okay, so the resolution part towards the end, I kind of like the way they did on the TV show versus the book. But the very, very ending where it kind of talks about what happens with all the kids, I really like the way they did the book better. I thought that was much more, much clearer, much more fun, much more interesting. Where in the TV show, they spend a lot more time on Mr. Curtain at the end, setting up the next uh, or the next TV season or whatever. I will say, though, it's so weird because I was really torn because there were things I really did like in the TV show that I wished that we could mush into the book, though. Like what? Well, for one thing, my biggest problem with the book, first of all, I felt like it was too long. Yeah, it's really long. Unnecessarily long, kind of, because one of my problems with the book was there was not enough tension. The stakes weren't high enough because like we're like little things would happen to the kids and then it would be solved in like one paragraph later, like, oh, they're going to be, something bad's going to happen. Oh no, it's not really going to happen to them. And I felt like that happened through the whole book where there wasn't enough like tension and suspense and like real live cons or real consequences to some Uh of the things. Cause like, you know, in most books, like the kids at least get caught a couple of times and it sends the whole story in a different direction where this time they never really Somebody always saves them. Somebody always saved them. Something always was not as big of a deal as you thought it was going to be. And then there were a couple of bad things that happened to them, but they weren't in scene and they were sort of weird. Like in the book, um, Sticky gets sent to the waiting room, which is supposed to be like a really terrifying place, but the reader doesn't go with him there. So you just hear. But when he comes back, you hear about it. You hear about it secondhand. I didn't think that it wasn't as thrilling. But see, I felt like it was way more terrifying having him come back and talk about it and being in a catatonic state almost after that experience than literally on the movie version. They literally just sat in a waiting room. Well, yeah, they toned it way down, way down, which is weird, too, because they made it so much darker in other places. Yeah. Well, and that's why I felt like the book, like the book was super not scary for a really long time. And then all of a sudden it seemed kind of extreme, like with him going to the waiting room, that was really pretty bad place. Pretty brutal. Yeah. And then also with Kate getting like beat up by adults. Yes. In the book. Yes. And I was like, okay, that seems because like nothing really bad has happened to them this whole time. There's been no really bad consequences. And then all of a sudden Sticky goes to this really bad place and Kate gets beat up by adults. And I'm like, that seems like a little bit too much. Like somehow there's got to be a balance. But yeah. So I feel like there was more tension in the TV show and more suspense because the consequences seemed a little bit more serious. Equal. 
Yeah. But you were also had more adults in it. So the consequences with the adults were higher too. you know, like that was in there. I don't know. Yeah. Do you think though that that in the style of writing, I tend to say I'm going to side with the writer on this one and say that that is uh, an, um, sort of that's that's sort of reflective of the time period. Yes, I would say and that, that things have changed that. so much in 15 years or 14 years that, you know, things are so vastly different now. It, we you wouldn't think of writing something. I mean, in middle grade, you wouldn't write that a child's been beat up or something. Right. You know what I mean? Like the things have changed so drastically in those 15 years. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think a lot of it, I think the length of the story has a lot to do with the time period. It could yeah. have been edited down a little bit. And then I also think, yeah, some of the bad things that happened seemed more than what you could get away with now, but yet there was less tension in it. You know, like it's right. Weird. So now we have stories that are more action, hard driving action, shorter stories. You're constantly tense. Yeah, you're constantly tense. But yet the things that happen aren't like so bad. Like, you know, kids aren't getting beat up by adults. This is the of the time period of those epic sized middle grade novels. This is like Harry Potter days. That's what was huge. I mean, in keeping that in perspective, yeah, it probably is about right on where it was. And again, you know me, I'm not a Harry Potter girl, but there were lots of parts of Harry Potter that didn't have constant action like that. Yeah, too, that's true. You're because right. that was sort of of the time. Yeah, you're right. No, you're absolutely right. Well, in the beginning, a lot of it was just describing the places they were because everything was new to all the kids for so long. Like yeah. they were with Mr. Benedict and then they were with Mr. Curtin and both of those were like completely new environments and different worlds. Yeah, yeah, totally different worlds. So they were getting, so you're getting a lot of like kind of just day-to-day interactive stuff that's happening too. So yeah, I mean, I enjoy, I definitely enjoyed the book. I really enjoyed the show too. I, I was just mostly disappointed with the last episode, but oh, it was terrible. It was just weird. Well, it was weird. And there were so many things like points about like what make, how does a team function? How does it like the, a large part of the book was all about taking these four quirky personalities and helping them learn to overcome each other's personality quirks in order to form a team where in the movie or the, the series version, it wasn't so much about making them overcome their quirkiness. It was more about like everybody giving up part of themselves just to be empathetic to the other people. Yes, And instead Instead of like being true to their own personality as a character, their own characterization, they all became a little more mushy mushy, which is a little, you know, that's pretty Disney, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge Disney connoisseur, so maybe I'm wrong, but that's sort of what Disney does. They like to play on the emotion as opposed to anything else. And to me, that didn't work. I wanted Constance to be nasty always because that's who she is. Because in the book, we know at the end of the book, we know why Constance is nasty. That's not why Constance is nasty in the series, which did not work for me. She just was nasty because she's Eastern European. What? Like that's kind of offensive too, isn't it? Like, uh, um, she's just you know she's just na- nasty by nature. I guess I don't know. It's it's interesting. Yeah, her character. When I got to the end of the book, I was like so happy. And then the TV show, then I was mad at the TV show because I was like, wait, you took that away. You took that away. So yeah, that was definitely better in the books. I do think um, some of the interesting things in the TV show that they sort of introduced though that I thought were kind of helpful were things about like the kids questioning the things they had to do to be spies, like cheating and lying to friends. Very Disney though. And making friends with people that they were basically kind of using for information. That kind of stuff was sort of played up in the TV series. That's not in the books at all. In the books, it was more about sort of their own personal things they had to overcome. Mm-hmm. Like um, Sticky was always so scared and nervous and, Rene was always doubting himself and his abilities and Kate thought she could do everything on her own and um, Constance being cranky all the time. All the time, just wanting to do what she wanted to do yeah. and sleep. She yeah. wanted to eat and she wanted to sleep. I love Constance. Okay. Just, I'm, I'm down with you, girl. But I, I think that's, yeah, I think that's what's really interesting and what's very telling is that those characters in the book then had room for growth because yeah. as they evolved and as things changed, they were able to overcome at least some level of their own crankiness or their own mm-hmm. independence issues or they, but that didn't happen in the, in the movie version. They didn't have anywhere to go. They just had to like, okay, I understand why you're this way. Let's all work together. It's not climactic enough. It's not right. enough character growth. Right. In my opinion. Yeah. And I have a master's degree in character. Thank you. Art theater, but whatever. (laughs) 
love the music in it, though. The music was so epic. They had like some good 70s tunes that would kick in. They did. Also, the book, um, especially the end, really highlights family and what family means and how you can create your own families and things like that, which I was kind of surprised Disney didn't play that more because that is I know, right? Yeah. And it was such a great thing. It was it was really I did say like good on Disney. There's one person in the book that they mention a lot. He was an inspector who used to come to the orphanage when Rennie was there. And he kept saying he saw him at the Institute and he was trying to talk to him. But he then soon figured out that he'd been mind swept because he kept saying, you have a family, you have a family. What about his family? And when they show him at the end, he actually has a husband and babies, which I thought was really cute. I'm like, good on you, Disney. Good on you. But um, yes, I, I agree that the end of it and the whole family thing is huge in the book and like creating your own family and, and all the different ways that family can look. And then Disney kind of like did a quick, and that's such a Disney thing. I know. I was surprised. It's such a Disney thing. And then they did this sort of like, we're over, done. Hold on for season two. They had to get to Mr. Curtin to set up season two. None of that is in the book. It's the beginning of the next book. Oh, okay. okay. It's the beginning part of the next book. Yeah. But that whole thing, I felt like we hired two, a really, really great actor who was p.s tony hale was a phenomenal we hired an amazing actor we need to make sure that he's going to play himself and his twin brothers spoiler alert um then we should make sure that we definitely give him all the screen time i felt like it was so clear i'm like these kids are the important part of the story not mr benedict i mean just saying, but I felt like that's what happened at the end there. Well, yeah, because the cast of adults is pretty awesome. And so you could tell they wanted to get them on the screen as much as possible. So yeah, the TV show just goes back and forth between the adults where they are and the kids where they are and everything that's happening between two separate groups. There were some things though in the TV show I loved in the books. Um, eventually the two groups come together, of course, and on the TV show... The adults rode in that uh, airship that they made themselves. Which the hot was, air balloon is brilliant. That was awesome. I did love that. And the submarine that they had and stuff. So there were some like cool additions, like visual additions that I thought were really amazing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I have to say I was I, I, when I started and I watched the first two episodes, I'm like, oh, my God, it's really following the book, mm-hmm. especially the first episode. It really followed the book. And I was excited. I'm like, this is this is great. This is where we're going. And then it sort of was like, oh, we are not anywhere. And like my son kept getting confused. So he was like, what is happening here? And I'm like, well, and I would explain it to him. He's like, how would I know this? If I didn't read the book, how would I know that that's what the whisper was doing? And that's what the machine was doing. Or I thought that was so, so clear in the book. Like he was using the children and he would put a helmet on and the kids would put a helmet on and he would basically take over their brain. Yeah. But in the book, he would put a helmet on and sit there like a therapist session and they would put a helmet on. And then this woman's voice came on and it didn't make sense. My son was like, I have no idea what's happening when they go in this room with the whisper machine. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, so. It wasn't clear why Mr. Curtin was important in the TV. No, he was just sort of like an evil like an evil power grubber. And then there was this whole bizarre thing where SQ, who's in the book, is this kind of bumbling, he's like a bumbling, like an RA, like a college RA or dorm leader or something to begin with. And he kind of lets a lot of things happen because he screws up. And that's how a lot of the things that the kids do, they're able to do because SQ screws up because he's just kind of an idiot. And then in the movie, he was his, he was Mr. Curtin's son who really didn't have a lot of action. So I feel like they just took a couple pieces from the book and they were like, we'll just make our own now, but we're going to use the name to sell it because that'll be, that'll bring in a lot of viewers. Well, and they, they did change a lot of characters. Yeah. Because they added a scientist, which doesn't exist in the book because. Oh, right. Mr. Curtin is the scientist. Yeah. Yeah. And they also uh, made Martina a pretty different character as well. Yeah. I wasn't hip to that. So I, what what do you give it? And would you recommend it to people to watch it? I would recommend the series. I thought it was fun. And I was only just a little bit disappointed in the end because it was kind of confusing to figure out what was going on. But I, up until then, I was really enjoying it. I thought it was fun. And I did like that there was more action in the TV series than in the book. If the book was just a little bit shorter, I would love that book. <laughs> yeah, it's a really long book. Yeah. I will give you that. And not that I'm afraid of long books. I mean, I've read 
you know, the Harry Potter books, but there's so much action in those books that they keep you really engaged. This one I didn't feel as engaged with. I broke it up between audiobook and reading it. And that was a perfect, it was a really great audiobook. I bet. It was a really, really great audiobook. And I think if you were going like on a car trip or something with your whole family, everybody would enjoy it. That would be fun. I, I definitely think that this book would be fun to read aloud for sure. Like if it was in, it was more interactive, I think that would be more fun. And I'm with you. So like if you had the audio, audio version, that would be awesome. I agree with you there. I think that would be great. So what about you? Would you, you, what do you recommend on this? I mean, I totally recommend the book. Everyone should read the book. It's fabulous and listen to it on, or, or listen to it on audio, but. I recommended the series to some designer friends of mine because it was such a great um, design overall, top to bottom, scenic, costumes, music, audio, everything was so perfect. It was so well done. One thing about the TV show that I really thought was a great visual was how in Mr. Benedict's house, there it's like floor to ceiling books everywhere, books piled up everywhere. And then in Mr. Curtin's office, there's wallpaper of books. Oh my God. I loved that. It's not real books. It's, it's like fake. fake. Yeah. I, lo- I love that. So I love much. that. I love like they go into the woods to hide and number two is like, give me a saw. And then like 20 minutes later, she built a house. Yeah. That was like, <laughs> I was dying. I was dying. I was like, Oh my God. And Milligan was like, let's go look at the top of the mountain. And they're walking and they're walking. Mr. Benedict is like barely making. He's like, it's just a two mile walk. And they're walking, walking, walking. He's like, well, how much further? He's like about one and a half miles. <laughs> it was so great. I think the characters were really great. They were, the acting was supreme. All right. So should we move on though? I, I would say I give it a the best possible scenario. The best thing I say is listen to the audiobook. And then watch the series. That sounds like a good point. That's because then you get to see it for a different, from a different perspective and you know what's supposed to be happening. So you know what's actually happening. Right. Because then you can understand everything. Yeah. So let's do this with every book and movie now. <laughs> we'll be like Siskel <laughs> and Ebert. We're going to two thumbs up. All right. We should probably move on to our pick six. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our pick six. And we're going to share with you six more series for you to check out. If like we did, you loved the Mysterious Benedict Society. What's your first recommendation for us, Margie, for books that are similar to the Mysterious Benedict Society that kids might also enjoy? Well, first of all, I have to say, ironically, I think like a large chunk, I know mine and maybe one or two of yours, they're also like have been adapted into um, into series as well. My first one that I want to say is uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. That I, know. Series. I hate you for stealing I know. this from I me. Loved I loved the first those. book. Um, I didn't ever watch. Did you ever watch the movie? Yes, version? I love the movie. Is it good? Okay. Um, and it's by Ransom Riggs. It is a five, right? Five, six book series. The first one is called the Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. There's the Hollow City, Library of Souls, A Map of Days, The Conference of the Birds, and The Desolations of Devil's Acre. And that's this, those are the six books. The series is about an abandoned orphanage. It's kind of, it's such a great idea. It's like based on these weirdo pictures. And it really is like the book. He actually wrote them based on these strange pictures, photographs, black and white. I would say like turn of the century-ish. So 16-year-old Jacob travels to a Roman remote island off the coast of Wales. And this is after his grandfather has died. And he's out exploring one day. He and his father go on this trip. He's out exploring and he finds these crumbled ruins of Miss Peregrine's home for peculiar children. And then it all kind of comes to life. And he's sort of in Miss Peregrine's home for peculiar children. And he kind of learns as he's going through the abandoned property that these kids weren't peculiar, but they were dangerous. Like the one what always stuck in my head is the there was a girl that was weightless. Remember her? Yes, like a balloon. Yeah. And yeah. she had to wear like iron or lead shoes and so she wouldn't fly away. And it's just so interesting. And Miss Peregrine herself has a little secret that she's not quite all human as well. So it's a great one. I, I definitely give that one two thumbs up. It's like if you liked um, Mysterious Benedict Society, check that one out. And it's a little bit newer. I think it was like maybe 2010, 12, 11. I think it start, they started like 2011. It was right around there. Yeah, 2011. And at the time, because I read the very first one right when it came out, and it was not long after, it came out like right after we came back to America. And it was 
marketed as like, initially it was marketed as an adult book, a book for adults. And then it kind of shifted more. I'd still put it more YA, but it is considered also middle grade as well. Well, there's not really anything in it that's that No, bad. there's not. No, just the main character is 16. Yeah. Initially, it was just like sort of general fiction, adult fiction. And then people, it, I think that's why, because it was a great book. There was nothing wrong, like nothing shady or anything. There's no sex. There's no real, I mean, no more violence than anything else. So that's that one. Yeah, it's a good one. My second one that I would recommend is Artemis Fowl, the Artemis Fowl series. We were just talking about this. We, I just watched the movie version, which I loved. Apparently the rest of society did not like that, but I loved the, loved it. It's been disney as well. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. Like in the movie, Artemis is definitely, and excuse me, those are by Owen Coffer, Colfer, excuse me. And they, in the movie version, he's like doing it for the good of society. In the book version, he's like an evil mastermind. Nah, it's not maybe for good, good of society, but maybe for his own pocket. So <laughs> um, Artemis is 12. He is a genius and criminal mastermind. In the first book, Artemis Fowl is the first in the series. There's eight actual Artemis Fowl books. Then there are, I think there's three more of the, the Fowl twins, which is another sort of version of that. Those came out a long time ago. Initially, they started in 2001. Then recently, I want to say like in the last two years, my mind gets really muddy because of like, we took that whole year off for COVID. So I'm not sure if it was the last year or two years, but they came out with another readapted version in graphic novels. And those are really fantastic. Um, And I did read that one. I read the first one and a second one with a student of mine, the graphic novel version. And it's the same story, but they've been redone for in a graphic novel. So there's a lot. If you're into Artemis Fowl, there's a lot out there. But anyway, in the first book, Artemis, he's an evil genius, <laughs> mastermind, criminal mastermind, whatever you want to call him. He kidnaps this fairy, Holly Short, who's a um, recognizance officer for the Lower Elements Police. And um, that's lower, the lower elements is where all the fairies and the the trolls and goblins and all those things live. And that's at the center of the earth. And he decides to capture her with the help of his bodyguard and hold her for ransom, I guess I should say. So as, and he was going to use the gold that the fairies paid off for her to kind of put his family's money back where it needs to be. But then he actually ends up cutting a deal. Um, He gives Holly back in exchange for some fairy magic. That's very personal to him. And it was even something more important than just money. So that's sort of the first one. There's a lot of um, it's like, you know, when you think of like shoot em up movies, kind of that sort of like action adventure, so much happening. That's kind of how the Artemis Fowl series are. I had kids that used to love them when they first came out that they would just like wait. The kids that didn't like Harry Potter loved Artemis Fowl and they would, you know, like wait, wait for the next one to come out. So that's the next one. And my last one is Mr. Lemoncello by Chris Graberstein. And it's a great series. Um, and it also, I think the fir- Nickelodeon made a very crappy adaptation of the first book. And I don't think any other ones were made. It's one of those books that's so over the top in your that it's like kind of like Willy Wonka-esque that unless you're going to hire Tim Burton to do it, it's not, you're never going to be able to kind of like get it as in-depth and crazy as it needs to be. So it's a five book series. And the first one is the, the very first one is Escape from Mr. Lemon. Mr. Lemoncello is like a sort of like a Willy Wonka of the game world. And he has created, he's a billionaire and he created this library that took 12 years to build. So this library wasn't even built by the time these kids were born. And then he offers 12, 12 year olds a chance to spend a night in the library before it opens. And it's got all these bells and whistles and it's crazy. So they had to write an essay. They finally get in there. 12 year old Kyle doesn't quite make the cutoff for the essay because he's not really a fan of homework, but he's a really big fan of Mr. Lemon's Lemoncello. So he finally like sort of scratches together an essay and at the last minute and one thing leads to another and somehow he gets to be one of the 12 kids in there and he's our her main character. Once they get in there, they're locked in. And then what they find out is it's not about spending a night in there. They have to solve, a, in order to ever get out of there again, they have to solve a series of puzzles and riddles and games to get out of the library. You know, it's a really great book. My son loved it. He read all of them. I think the first one is the best one. I only read the first two. Kyle kind of goes up against another team by this kid, Charles Chittington. And only one of the teams is playing by the rules. Uh, and Mr. Lemoncello might be watching. So 
It's pretty cool. It's a good one. So that's like if you and that's probably more so than Artemis Fowl, but um, it's definitely a lot like the Mysterious Benedict Society. If you like that one, you'll love that one. So what do you got? All right. So um, I feel like we're obliged to mention Lemony Snicket's A Series of Unfortunate Events because that came out around the same time. And there's a movie and a Netflix series, which, by the way, Neil Patrick Harris kicked butt in that as Count Olaf in the series. And that's another beautiful, beautiful like set design, everything. Oh, so visually Yeah, I almost feel like that's one where I like the series better than the books, but that's just same. So don't hate me. But that's also another case, though. That's another case of a book that came out in that same period that it was very, very dark, but you could not get away with that darkness now. And it's the same sort of time. The child bride thing sort of always threw me off in those books. Yeah. But, you know, kids would probably like that series if they like the mystery. Oh, my kids loved it. They watched them all. Yeah. With that said, I have three other picks, though. Okay, (laughs) go ahead. Okay. So I found some slightly lesser known book series that were around that 10 years ago when Mr. uh, Mysterious Benedict Society came out. So that I thought were great. Two of my picks include a series from author Michael Buckley. The first is a fun series that I really enjoyed called The Sisters Grimm. And it's about two young sisters who are the modern relations of the Brothers Grimm. And the girls discover that the Grimm fairy tales aren't just stories, but family history. So the girls are forced into becoming basically detectives in the unusual town of Fairyport Landing, which is where they ended up um, living with their grandmother that they didn't know they had. And so, and of course, Fairyport Landing is filled with magical creatures. So in the first book, um, someone releases a giant that rampages through the town and it's up to the girls with the help of Puck, who is a boy fairy, um, to stop it and find out who is behind the release of the giant. So the rest of the books are very similar with fairy tale characters. It's set in modern times. The books are very suspenseful and funny, and I highly recommend them. That sounds great. I've never heard of these before. Oh, yeah. I read them when they very first came out. At least the first two, I think I've read. But there are nine books. Um, the first one's The Fairy Tale Detectives. Then you have The Unusual Suspects, The Problem Child, Once Upon a Crime, Magic and Other Misdemeanors, Tales from the Hood, The Ever After War, The Inside Story, and The Council of Mirrors. So they're all very closely tied. To, like fra- I don't even, I guess you would call them like fractured fairy tales. I guess because uh-huh. they're set in modern times. But there's also a book called The Sisters Grimm that Michael Buckley put out, and it's a very grim guide. And that's like a behind the scenes glimpses of the, the books and then also some history of the grim fairy tales. It's more of like a nonfiction piece that goes with it. But just recently, the publishers reissued these books for the 10th anniversary. So they have, ah. yeah. So they reissued all of them just like, I think they started in maybe 2017 or something like that with the 10th anniversary editions. And so you can find these books. They should be able to find these books anywhere still now because of that. Also, the author, I was reading a blog posting that Michael um, Buckley wrote about how he rebooted these books, basically, in his words, where he made changes and fixes and updates. Oh, like to bring them up to time? Yeah. So I'm really curious. I like that. He wrote this whole blog post about how he felt like the new Star Wars kind of ruined the old Star Wars, but yet he's going to also try to update his (laughs) books and hopefully not ruin them. Interesting. But I have not um, read the new editions yet, but I'm I'm sure that they, that I just thought that sounded really cool because I thought if he updated like the technology and stuff, that would be really fun. Um, And uh, so those are all out right now. And then he has a second series that came out also around that time of the Sisters Grimm that is called Nerds. I have seen those. Yeah, those would be more on your radar. And NERDS is N period, E period, R period, D period, S period, which stands for the National Espionage Rescue and Defense Society. So this is definitely more like the uh, Mysterious Benedict Society. So this is basically about a group of super smart spy kids. And in the books, the the kids' nerdy abilities are enhanced by cutting-edge technology that they use to protect their school and the community and the world and all this stuff. Their spy layer is in the basement of their school, and then they pr- are protecting everybody from these over-the-top Bond-like villains. And I think this is very boy-heavy, cast. Yes, it is. Yeah. I have not read these books, but I thought I like um, Michael Buckley's style, so I figured these are probably pretty good, too. So the first book is Nerds, National Espionage 
Rescue and Defense Society. The second one is M is for Mama's Boy. Which this one's yeah, that might hit too close to home for my kids. <laughs> sounded hilarious because one of their troop of spies turns against them, and he uses an, an older tech nerd who lives with his mom <laughs> to help him with his master plan, which I thought sounded funny. The third book is The Cheerleaders Doom. The fourth book is The Villain Virus, and the fifth book is Attack of the Bullies. Those, yeah, like I said, are pretty boy heavy. So, and then last but not least, I have to include the Savvy series by Ingrid Law, which I've mentioned on the podcast before. I love, love these books. Um, there's three books Savvy, Scrumble, and Switch. The books are about the Beaumont family, and each book follows a different family member. In Savvy, Mibs is dreading her 13th birthday when her Savvy, which is a supernatural power that everyone in her family gets. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you talking about this. Yeah. And she has no control over what the power will be, and she's worried that it'll hurt people until she can get it under control. Everyone in her family has one. Her grandfather can move mountains. Her brother can make hurricanes. I think there's another family member that can control electricity. Um, Some of these are helpful and some of them can cause problems. But while she's waiting for her savvy to kick in, her father's in a bad car accident. So then she starts hoping that her savvy can help save her dad. So that's her whole adventure. The second book, Scrumble, picks up nine years after the first book and it follows Mibs's cousin Ledge and it's his him of him getting his savvy. And then the third book takes place three years after the second book and it is about Gypsy and her journey to getting hurt. Who's Gypsy? Um, she's another family member. Oh, okay. So they're all completely different families, which is kind of cool, but they're all within the Beaumont family. And the last book actually has a bigger cast. There's um, all the kids in the family have savvy, you know, like there's more savvy yeah. going on in the third one. So it kind of sa- feels more like all the books coming together, even though you don't have the same character. So it's pretty cool. I just love those. They're so fun. Every book has a different plot and the voice is unique to the character, yeah. which is different in every book, but they have the same level of like excitement and adventure and action and suspense and everything. It's really fun. So those are my three picks. Actually, the Sisters Grimm. I want to check them out. Those look, sound really good. Yeah, I love books. Books are awesome. I'm such a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I love books. I love spy books too. Oh, awesome. All right. So what's up for our next episode? Well, you know, this is you, girl. This is you. Mine too, though. I have to say over the years, when I was younger, you couldn't have paid me to read sci-fi. I loved Star Wars movies and I loved me some um, uh, Star Trek and Doctor Who, but I did not like reading sci-fi. Now I have to say it's one of my favorite things to read, especially in middle grade. I love middle grade sci-fi. I think the difference is that we're reading middle grade sci-fi, which is so fun because some sci-fi can get lost. So bogged down in details. Building. Yeah. Yeah. is a big thing. So in middle grade, that's a little bit lighter, which I think makes it a lot more fun too. I agree. And I mean, I love all sci-fi. So, but anyway, so what are we, what are we reading then? All right, so we're going to read uh, Cleo Porter and the Body Electric by Jake Burt, which I don't know if you started this one yet. But spoiler alert, you're going to love it. Um, And it does take place during a pandemic and this whole pandemic that changes the world and everything gets delivered to your door. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And this man actually wrote the book long. Like it was written. I think it came out in 2019. So it came out in 2019, which meant he wrote this somewhere like about five years before the pandemic, you know, like at least three or four years before the pandemic. So it's really it's kind of eerie. But um, so that's called Cleo Porter and the Body Electric. And then I'm going to be also talking about Weird Kid by Greg Van. We've had him, but we've read his books before and I still can't say his name. Ikhout Van Ikhout. Van, Van I'll find out. I'll learn how to say that before we actually record. That would probably be good. Okay. And I'm going to be reading Waste of Space by Stuart Gibbs. I've really kind of been wanting to read. I want to read that one. Yeah. That one looks super good. Yeah. The third book in his series, I think. So, but it just came out. So I'm excited. And then I'm hoping to get in the mortification of Fovia Munson by Mary Wynn Hader. I love this book (laughs) so much. P.S. There is dead bodies. So that's always why I'm down. Oh, okay. But um, it is so funny and so brilliant. And you're going to read it because you're going to love it. Okay. I loved it. I'm excited. I'm excited to read all these books. I, I mean, because like, you know me, like on the on the immigration episode, I think I read like five books for that or something. I just, if it's a topic I love reading about, I'm super excited. Yeah, these are, these are some great books that we've chosen too. I think it's, I think we're going to be psyched. 
Okay. So yay, I can't wait. I guess that wraps up this episode on the Mysterious Benedict Society and books that go along with that. So if you've liked what you've heard, please leave us a review and subscribe and share us and do all those wonderful things to let other people know that we exist. We'd love you forever. Unless it's a bad review. Then I'm coming to your house. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) I'm angry. (laughs) She is a spy, remember. (laughs) Right? I'm like the angry late 40s spy. (laughs) that you don't notice standing in the corner. You won't even see her coming. You won't see me coming. No. So, and if you want to join us twice a month for Kidlet Discussions, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. And if you want to find out what's happening in our world um, and see pictures from my days at the beach, because I swear to God, that's all I've been putting on Instagram so much. And I thank you all for that are like commenting on my pictures at the beach. Thank you. It makes my heart feel better. Um, you can follow us on Instagram on uh, Tulip Mamas Podcast or Tulip Mamas on Facebook. And of course on our website www.tulipmamas.com have a wonderful week thanks for listening bye Bye.